Welcome to Continuum, the International Business Council podcast, where each episode we sit down with an incredible member of the IBC community, dive in, and learn from their journey. This is John Fitzgerald, and welcome to Continuum, the podcast series of the IBC. Our guest today is Alex Jones of Hello. Alex, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Oh. But joy is, uh, is all on our part for you, you taking the time out for us. Um, t- to start out, what, what I really like to start is like, where'd you grow up? Tell us a little bit about, you know, your kind of the beginnings, where you're from, and then you went to Notre Dame for undergrad and how you ended up at Notre Dame. Yeah, a uh, good bit in there. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, um, uh, had incredible parents, um, three sisters, so very feminine household growing up, was played a bunch of sports. Probably the most consistent one was baseball. So that was the one I was probably most serious about. But it was a, I went to a small school, so small public school in Ohio. So I was able to do a lot of different things. Um, and then, yeah, was had, un, had unfortunately fallen away from my faith in high school and through a lot of college. Uh, so faith didn't really play a big role in the Notre Dame decision. But, um, yeah, my older sister went there like four years ahead of me and I just loved the campus. I thought it was beautiful. I liked kind of the well-rounded nature of the approach to academics. So you do a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of, I knew I was going to go into engineering, um, but to have a school that could do really well with the technical things, but also kind of a more well-rounded education was something that uh, I liked a lot. I actually liked that they didn't have Greek life. I didn't. I wasn't really all that excited about the idea of Greek life. I liked sports. I liked the people that I met there. A lot of people were athletes from high school, so I could relate a lot to them. And yeah, that was mostly it. But yeah, honestly, just really loved the campus. It's just beautiful. It felt like set apart from South Bend, like the grass, the open spaces. I thought it was thought it was awesome and close enough to home that I could that I could drive. So, um, so yeah, that's that's how I ended up going to Notre Dame, which was a stroke, a stroke of luck on my part. When you were at Notre Dame, what extracurricular activities were you involved with? Yeah, at the beginning, I got pretty involved with my dorm and different sports um, that, you know, like uh, intramural football and um, bookstore basketball and those, ty- those, those kinds of things. Um, school was tough. So engineering, an engineering degree at Notre Dame certainly didn't leave an infinite amount of room for doing whatever else you wanted. Um, after a couple of years, though, I got pretty interested in consulting. And so I ended up joining SIBC, the uh, Student International Business Council. And yeah, I loved it. It was incredible. It was one of the highlights of my, of my Notre, Dame, Notre Dame experience. I did a handful of other things. I was briefly a part of the Knights of Columbus. Uh, oh, I, I, I helped start a, um, there's a nonprofit that I work with uh, that helps care for some kids out of Honduras called Montaña de Luz. And uh, we helped build a little group on campus for that. I think those were the big things. But yeah, probably the biggest one was SIBC uh, in terms of clubs or extracurricular activities. I was on the sailing team also. I almost forgot about that. So very poor at it, but I was on the sailing team. So A lot of good sailors come out of Columbus, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not a massive amount of open bodies of water, but um, but it was fun. You learned how to sail, and, and it was a good group of people. So, and you majored in was it mechanical engineering? Yes. And it, so, when you look back now, major in mechanical engineering, 
Are there any things that, that you picked up from that that you know still carry today, more from like, like a toolkit perspective that you can apply because you're not in that field and we're going to talk a little bit about that more, but any you know key learnings that you picked up you know, while going through undergrad? You know, there are, yeah, it's a, a long list there. But the core, from like a mechanical engineering perspective, mechanical engineering is probably one of the broadest, I would argue, engineering disciplines that Notre Dame has. Uh, so you do a little bit of chemical engineering, a little bit of aerospace engineering. It's mostly physics and first principles. Um, you do a little bit of coding, so you learn a little bit of consu- computer science. So you, you get a, a little bit of an exposure to the different types of, of engineering. Uh, which is why I chose it because I wasn't really sure what kind of engineering I wanted to do, but I was attracted by like trying to hard solve hard problems and like the first principles approach to problem solving. Um, the biggest benefit, honestly, the two big things from that, uh, like the core technical education, was, you know, one is just learning how to problem solve and how to break like a really complex, ambiguous problem down and try to tackle it which I think is the same type of thing that you learn in consulting. So I I spent a few years in consulting and I would say that that's the same type of thing that I learned in consulting. The other big thing is it's just, it's like just enough technical knowledge that you're not afraid of technical things. It's the same type of thing I would say about consulting from a business side or even SIBC for, for that matter. But entrepreneurship, like you never really know when you're starting a startup, there's so much that you don't know. I mean, like I had to learn how to audio edit, what sound booth quality, uh, what good sound quality uh, was, like theology, spiritual stuff. You have to learn so much stuff that's very specific to the startup that you're doing. And the big important thing is just like not being afraid to try to learn it. And if you just have the basics of like accounting and finance, then you have some, you know, you're not afraid of what it takes to build a financial model. And on the same time, from a, on, on the same page, um, from a technical perspective, if you just had the basics of like, yeah, I've coded a few things in the past. I'm certainly not a good developer, but I, I have coded. So I can take a little course. I took a little course online from, you know, a free iOS development course and learned how to code an iOS app. And I, I think I would have been too afraid uh, to learn how to do that. And I would have, wouldn't have had like the intro to it to be able to tackle it. So I, I think from... When I look back at the things I did before Halo and before the startup, from a professional experience, the biggest thing was just not being afraid, just knowing enough to where you could jump in and try to learn it. I also had a, I mean, several of the philosophy classes and theology classes were critical to me coming back to my faith. And so um, those were massively important from a spiritual perspective. And then also, obviously, it's what ended up becoming Halo. So um so yeah, but I, I would say the biggest thing is is problem solving and just not being afraid of technical things, which uh, you know I think is a massive massive piece of entrepreneurship. You hit on a, a number of topics I want to talk about. So first, the the whole startup aspect, and I want to go back and, and hopefully we'll talk a little bit more in depth. But you didn't come out of undergrad and just jump in and get right into a startup. I mean, you were a few years out, and if you could talk about you know. What is Halo for the listeners who don't know what it is? And I mean, this could be a whole separate conversation for days, but talk about the whole startup concept of like, where do you even begin? How did you put that plan together? And then if I read your bio correctly, parallel with doing a startup, you go decide to get your MBA at Stanford. And 
how you juggled all of that. Yeah. Um, my wife is the short answer to that last question is the only and only possible way that I survived that one. But um, yeah, so so for folks who so Hallow is a faith based prayer and meditation app. Um, so it helps lead you through guided contemplative meditative prayer. That's at least. Yeah, we have a ton of different types of content now, though. So the music, uh, Gregorian chant uh, content at night, if you struggle falling asleep to close your day with some scripture, some sermons, Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in a year. We've got Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen. You've got Mark Wahlberg, who does um, a rosary that you can pray with and a handful of different challenges on fasting and a bunch of different types of great content. So um, that's what Hallow is. It's been around for five years. We've been incredibly blessed. God's been uh, done some amazing, difficult, impossible to believe things with it. I think we have 12 and a half million downloads or so or the number one prayer prayer app or Christian app or Catholic app on the on the app store. So a lot of a lot of really crazy things and a lot of really incredible testimonies from folks who have used it who are coming back from their faith or people struggling with, you know, severe depression or people who have lost kids or just really tough times and they're able to find some sense of hope and peace and we're able to be um we're lucky enough to be able to be a part of that journey. You know, for me it it was kind of a unique. So I had fallen away from my faith, got pretty into meditation. Initially tried out some of the secular meditation apps like Headspace and Calm, which, you know, uh, at the time had just launched, but now are massive 100 million plus downloads. Um, and I loved the structure of this app. Uh, this, this, like you felt like you had like a personalized guide, you could just close your eyes, plug in your headphones and be led through this meditation just 10 minutes in the morning before going to work. Um, but I kept feeling a pull towards something spiritual. So I started asking folks, a lot of, you know, rector from Notre Dame, a lot of different, uh, people who are deeper in their faith life, if there was some sort of intersection between meditation and faith. And they laughed at me and said, yeah, it's called prayer. We've been doing it for 2000 years. You probably should have heard about it. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I know what prayer is. It's stuff where you like repeat the things I've memorized as a kid, or you tell God what you're thankful for, or sorry for, um, and then it always just felt to me like I was going through the motions, but I, I learned like this rich and beautiful tradition of contemplative and meditative prayer, Lexio Divina, Ignatian spirituality, Carmelite spirituality, examine, um, imaginative prayer, chant, all these things that I'd honestly never heard of before. And uh, I tried, I Googled how to do Lexio Divina, tried a session randomly. And actually you pick out a word that sticks out to you. And I, I randomly opened up to the passage where Jesus gives the Our Father and the disciples ask him how they are to pray. And he gives them the Our Father. And hallow was the word that stuck out to me that I meditated on and in hallowed be thy name from the Lord's Prayer. And it uh, it just changed my life. It was just this like incredible experience of deep peace um, with like real meaning and purpose. So hallow means to make holy. Uh, so is God trying to make me holy? Am I letting him make me holy? Am I supposed to be helping other people grow closer to God? All these like big stressful life questions, but wrestling with them in this place of peace. So I need I knew that I needed to do that for the rest of my life. I knew how to code a little bit from undergrad. And so I knew that I was going to try to build, you know, this app that uh, I loved the structure of these apps. And I knew that I needed to do this type of thing. And there wasn't anything out there that helped me to do it. And so honestly, we built the first one just for me um, and ourselves. And we had a few dozen like friends and family who reached out and wanted to try to use it. And God did some just incredible things in their lives. Like there was a young woman who committed to religious life as a nun. There was a 
a woman who uh, had lost her only son who hadn't been able to eat or get out of bed for months and was able to find some sense of hope for the first time since his passing. And so it was just like these these incredible stories. And so from that, we knew that we had to, that God was going to do something pretty cool with it. And so we might as well give it a, give it a try. And so anyway, that that's, and that was maybe four and a half years ago or so. And it's been just a crazy ride since. That, that's the hallow story. Um, you know, from the startup perspective, you asked the question of, of like, what, is it, what does it mean to build a startup? I think it's, there's a handful of things in there. Like, what does it mean to start? The, the first thing is, what does it mean to build something? What, what type of organization that is, is, um, you know, could be a bunch of different things. Um, could be a services organization, could be a small business, could be a startup, um, could be a nonprofit, whatever. Um, but building something is really just like, is there a need and can you build something that helps people solve that need? So can, can you build something that somewhere helps somebody that somebody loves? And that's, was the big thing at the beginning. Then, uh, and that can be a product, it can be a service, it can be a book, it can be anything. The next step is like, okay, well, what kind of organization are you going to build to try to do what you're trying to do? And for us, you know, startups are really, a startup just essentially means like a really, really fast growing. Um, and it's usually a piece of, it's usually around technology, but a really, really fast growing uh, early stage company. And um, there's some different investment strategies and a handful of things that people take from that. But for us, the thing that got us really excited was we had this opportunity, you know, we prayed about it a long time, actually, like whether we would structure this as a nonprofit and whether we'd structure it as a small business that we could, you know, just try to retire early or something, or whether we do a startup and try to build something big. And that's kind of the question. The startup is way riskier. It's much more likely that it'll fail. Um, but it has this chance to be something really big and impact a lot of people's lives. And for us, that's, we prayed about it and we just kept coming back to this 10 talents passage of, uh, I think the unique opportunity that Hallow has is to reach out to folks, especially folks who have fallen away, but everybody who's trying to grow deeper in their faith at like a really big scale and take some bets that, um, you know, is really hard for a church to take or a organized religion or a like university or anything is, is kind of unique, a unique opportunity for a startup to try to make a dent in the world and try to bring people back to, back to their faith, especially in the West. So anyway, that's what got us excited about the startup thing. I'm getting to a handful of your questions here, hopefully. But the last one I remember was uh, was the Stanford one. Uh, I went to grad school, ended up going to uh, business school. I that was an interesting one because it's it was kind of a parallel decision, and God made it really easy for me to jump jump ship and work on how I loved consulting. I was at um, a firm called McKinsey and Company. I loved it; it was incredible. I uh, was fortunate enough to have done well and was in an engagement manager role. So um, there, there wasn't like a, uh, which is the role after you go to your um, uh, graduate school. So it's, it was like an early promotion. So I'd gotten, it actually was, it was, I was really against going to grad school, but, um, but I applied to a couple of schools, like my dream schools. I was lucky enough to get into Stanford and ended up deciding to go there. That was also kind of parallel to this whole thing. So I prayed about it. And so there's a good chunk of a spiritual side to that. But um, what, what we, we got, I got really lucky because we came up with this hallow. Um, I would say we came up with it, but God gave us this hallow idea shortly after I had decided to go to Stanford. And 
So instead of like taking the crazy leap of like, hey, I'm going to quit my job and go do this crazy startup thing, I was lucky enough to say, hey, I'm going to go to grad school in six months anyway. I was going to take a month or two off before going to grad school as a break before grad school. And so I might as well just take six months off and try to like really heads down build this thing. And that was just incredibly lucky because I never would have been able to quit that early on um, had it not been for that timing. So God helped me out a good bit there. Um, and then grad school while building a startup was just really unpleasant. It's just, it's, uh, yeah, I probably spent, you know, 20 hours a week or so on grad school related activities, maybe 25, didn't do any of the social things, none of the fun trips, none of the like network building or friend things, just class. And I barely passed class, took the minimum amount of credits and, uh, got the minimum grade that I needed to, to pass. Uh, and then probably, so yeah, 20, 25 hours on that and probably 60 to 80 on, on the Halo stuff. So very little sleep, very little anything, very little, very little activity of any sort outside of going to class and trying to work on the startup. And even in class, like I would try to, you know, you weren't allowed to have computers, but I would write down the emails that I was sending in my notebook. And then I'd take a picture of them and, and send them to people as a way to be more efficient with time. So it was just a, it was just a slog for sure. But, um, but grad school actually was, was quite helpful. I, I got to uh, learn, meet a lot of different founders, learn a lot of things about startups and startup strategy. And the Silicon Valley network is kind of a tough one to crack into. And Stanford gave a pretty uh, awesome uh, initial intro to to that network, which is helpful for fundraising and a handful of things that come along with the, with the startup world. So anyway, that was a bunch of questions. This is me talking for like 20 minutes, but hopefully that hit on a handful of them. No, that was great. I, it, big picture is the Catholic mission your guide or Hallow's guide? Yeah, 100%. Everything we do uh, is 100% in line with church teaching, authentically Catholic. We don't hide it. Um, and yeah, I mean, we have some incredible folks on the app. Father Mike Schmitz, Bishop Barron, uh, Sister Miriam, uh, Jeff Cavins, who's an incredible Catholic biblical scholar, a bunch of, I mean, the incredible Catholic creators. The, uh, so we're, we're, and we'll never deviate from that. We'll never build anything. I mean, the Catholic Church saved my life and has changed my life and is the most important part of who I am. So is uh, is never going to be something that, you know, I, I care a lot more about me getting into heaven than than anything else. So the uh, we're not going to do anything, hopefully, that ever goes against. Um, we'll always be in line with church teaching. At the same time, we try to welcome as many people as possible. So we have a ton of folks uh, of non-Catholic Christian backgrounds on the app. Um, you know, at one point, our power user, there's a woman who used the app 30 times a day, and it was an evangelical woman. We, we reached out to her and we said, why are you, aren't you kind of turned off by all the Catholic stuff? And she said, no, I just skip the rosary. I just don't, don't do the rosary. I do all the other stuff. And 99% of the stuff on the app is just scripture. We're just meditating on scripture. And uh, so hopefully that can be a resource for people of any faith background um, to come together. And I don't know, prayer is one of the things where it's such a device. We, we live in such a world of division and anger and lines and disagreements and all that stuff. And prayer is one of those things, at least our hope is, it's one of those things that can kind of bring us together. And we have a bunch of people of non-Christian backgrounds too, a bunch of agnostics, atheists, a bunch of Muslim brothers and sisters, um, a bunch of Jewish uh, brothers and sisters, a bunch of different folks with a bunch of different backgrounds, just interested in exploring Christian spirituality. Um, but yeah, it's always, I mean, I, I would say Jesus hopefully is our guide. Uh, and, you know, the church is, um, yeah, it's his church. So 
is is hopefully Hallow is just a tool for the church. We're just trying to help help the church in our mission and just be a small part of people's journey in a deeper relationship with Jesus. What would you tell the Alex entering college if you could talk to him today? <laughs> uh, yeah, the most important thing is is the most important thing I had messed up was my faith. So I didn't have it. Um, so I don't know. Honestly, God probably brought me back to him in the best way that was imaginable. So I'm not sure I could do it a whole lot better. But I probably would have just said, talk to Jesus. Like, just try to talk to him. And not not talk, but not just talk, but listen. I don't know. That listen thing for me really does. It's like, what does it mean to listen to God? And like, when I was struggling with my faith, it was one of the big things that always was this big question mark. It was... Like, yeah, okay, there's these theological arguments and philosophical arguments for God's existence, but I'm not really all that smart enough to figure them out and like get to the truth. There's really smart atheists and there's really smart Christians and they're really compelling when you listen to them. But there is this one weird part of Christian spirituality and it's that you're supposed to be able to talk to the guy and listen to him and what he says. And it's like, that's a pretty, pretty compelling proof point. If you can just wake up each morning and just listen to a guy talking to you, it's tough to argue that that person doesn't exist. and so I don't know that 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 would be, you know, trying to listen to God. But at the beginning there, it's like you just have to take it seriously. It's like it, as a freshman at, at Notre Dame, I would have just said this is the most important thing in your life. You better figure out what, what you believe in. And taking it seriously, I think, would have just jump started that process, and made it a whole lot. Because I just I just didn't you know, it just wasn't important. I just didn't think about it. I just thought about whatever else uh, freshman, sophomore year. So um so yeah, that that probably is one of the big ones. Uh, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing I'd say. Alex, what do you believe it takes to be successful? <laughs> this might be a weird answer, but radical, complete, and total surrender to God would be my answer. Um, I don't really care about success. Well, I mean, I, I that that's not fair. Um, I hope. And I try to not really care about success from a secular world perspective, uh, from uh, like hitting numbers or some article that's nice about somebody or people liking you or whatever. Yeah, I don't think it's just like if you set a number and you say, hey, I think if we start a startup and there's a thousand, I mean, a thousand people using Halo would have blown my mind. 10,000 people blown my mind. 50,000 people, 100,000 people, 500,000 people, a million people. I mean, it's awesome because it's indicative of like individuals growing deeper in a relationship with Christ. But it's just if you set numbers as the goal, it's just they they just don't they just don't have fulfillment. Um, and so what I so I'm going yeah, to interrupt. I, I want to interrupt you because I, I, this is really for me trying to to grasp all this. That you know, you, you said hitting numbers really isn't that important to you. Yet you know, you're running a business. You and you got. We haven't even talked about the the two co-founders you have. That certainly numbers are important, and and how do you balance that? And you know, in this capitalist society that we live in, yeah, I think numbers are incredibly important. You know, like if you don't have cash, the company dies. If you're not growing, you it's hard to have funding. If it's you know that there's and honestly, for us, if you really thought about the mission of what we're trying to do. The mission at its simplest is just trying to help people pray. And so that's that's fine, that's a nice thing to say, but what does it mean? Like, how would you measure it? And if you're not measuring it, you don't really care about it. So it, how would you measure it? And the way we would measure it is breaking it down to say, well, our goal is to reach out to people. So 
reach out to new people that we aren't already reaching out to, and then serve the people we've already reached out to in as deep a way as possible. And the only two ways to really know that is one, are you growing? Are you reaching out to new folks? Are you reaching out to new folks? And you can count that pretty easily. And two uh, is retention. Um, or, you know, you could use MPS or any of those things, but is some way to measure, are you adding value to people's lives? And for us, for a consumer app, it's, it's retention. Are people using it? Are they finding value in it? And so those numbers are crazy important because they are just the mission. And I, um, yeah, I mean, one of our values as a company is it doesn't really matter if we all work as hard as we can, if we're not helping people pray at the end of the day, if you're not driving the results, it doesn't matter. Like God calls you to turn your five talents into 10 and those are numbers. He calls you to do them. And if you're not doing them, uh, then there's no, well, we shouldn't be here. We're just wasting resources. We're not being stewards of the people who have bet on this thing. And so numbers are super important. And again, they like for us, the thing that really drives me is you get these stories of people who are in incredibly tough places who end up finding some sense of hope, some sense of peace. We had some guy the other day who said, hey, I don't, you know, I was severely depressed. I don't think I'd be physically standing here alive today. I think I would have ended my own life had it not been for the grace that I received from God through this app. And so like that's, and, and that is a number, like it's one person and you can see that in the numbers of people that you reach out to. So numbers are crazy important from a, can you build a startup? But the question is like, is that what you put your value in as a person? So like uh, if, if I sat back and I said, you know, Alex is valuable because we can hit some number and, and like Hallow's goal is to hit some number. Our goal is just to do whatever God wants us to. And if he wants us to hit a number, that's great. It's his thing. If he wants us to hit a number, that's awesome. He'll have it hit the number. We'll work as hard as we possibly can to make sure that that happens. Um, but it's his thing. And if he doesn't want to, and he wants to use it as an inspiration for somebody else to do something, then that's great too. That's fine. And it fails. And he uses it as a stepping stone to get us to do something else or somebody else to do something else. It's a much bigger plan than any of us can understand. So for us, all we try to do and I would like if I had to boil down the spiritual life to one thing, it's just learning to surrender your life to God. And so for for Hallow, that's it, which is how do we learn to surrender this thing to God? And he does incredible things as soon as you let him. Every like big success from a numbers perspective that we've had is us trying to do something time and time and time and time again, failing and then giving up and saying, all right, God, if you want this thing to happen, it'll happen. And then he does it. He just like waits for you to 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 give up and then he does the thing. So I don't know, the radical surrender thing. Yeah, if I were to say, what is it like, what does it take to be successful? The question is like, what is, how do you measure success? And I guess I would measure success from a spiritual perspective of what does it take to live the life God is calling you to do? And that is, that is surrender, whether you hit the numbers or not. And the, the numbers are super important from like a running the business perspective. But if you put your value on like, now oh, we're going to get to a million downloads, like that's the thing that really matters to me it's uh you get there and then it's like oh well this is you know i just set a bigger number or you set a different target and it's like that's not the fulfillment you're looking for the fulfillment you're looking for is in god and it's a way deeper fulfillment than some number or some material success or some worldly success thing last year in 2022 hello announced a partnership with notre dame so offering hello to notre dame students can you talk about just the, the thought behind that i mean what what was a catalyst to do that and how has it been received? Yeah, it's been awesome. Honestly, the uh, student body presidents, um, the student body president and vice president reached out to us and said, hey, we ran on this platform of trying to, um, you know, bring Catholic culture to Notre Dame. And um, a big piece of that is is bringing Hallow to students. And so we'd love to be able to bring Hallow to students. So 
we were honored to be able to partner with them. I mean, Notre Dame changed my life. It was an incredibly important part in bringing me back to the faith. All of my two co-founders are both Notre Dame grads. And the first like five to seven people who worked on the worked on the app were all Notre Dame grads. Um, and so we all owe an incredible amount to Notre Dame. We have an incredible number of like Father Pete McCormick, who runs campus ministry at Notre Dame, did a bunch of content for Hallow, these daily inspirational um, sessions, which are incredible. There's a bunch of uh, really awesome yeah, and that's like Professor Cavadini has been incredibly uh, helpful and supportive from a theological perspective. Notre Dame and the Notre Dame community has been incredible. So for us to be able to help students to grow deeper in a relationship with God was something that was a no-brainer. It was, yeah, if there's a way that we can help Notre Dame and the, um, the student body to build a deeper spirituality or to grow deeper in, in their spirituality, that'd be an honor. So um, when they reached out, we were we were humbled and honored too, of course. And it's been received phenomenally. We've got we've got a ton of folks praying on the app super regularly. It's uh, you know, again, we've got a, a lot of Notre Dame um uh, you know, priests and um professors who are creating content. So it is uh it's awesome to be able to to I don't know if tap into, but work together with the Notre Dame community as we're trying to build this thing and to to be a resource if we can. You mentioned a, a number of names so far in our conversation, starting with, you know, your parents having been very, very supportive and influential in your life. And I, I was wondering if you could talk about maybe a person or people who have had a, a tremendous influence on you, both personally and professionally, and, and why and how they had that influence. Yeah, I mean, the list is very long. But, you know, first would be my mom and dad. Uh, my mother is just like a just an incredible example of faith, probably one of the most beautiful spiritualities I've seen and was, I don't know, she did a great job of like leading a life that didn't like force it on anybody or anything. It just showed like, hey, this is like, I take my spiritual life incredibly seriously and was just an incredible example to that. Uh, I'm sure her prayers were um, powerful. The, uh, and my dad was just a, I don't know. He's just a, the best. He's my hero as a father. He's the best father I know. Uh, and just like an incredible example of what it means to be a man, like hard work and integrity and honesty and uh, doing the right thing. And just like the values that he instilled were, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I was incredibly, I was incredibly fortunate to have both of them as, as parents. Um, you know, but there's a much like Father Pete McCormick from Notre Dame was incredible. I mean, he was one of the first people I reached out to, taught, helped me come back to my faith. And ever since then, he's just, he, I don't know if for anybody who doesn't know him, he's just, he's the basketball uh, chaplain, basketball team's chaplain. And he's also quite good at basketball, but he's just hilarious. He's like very approachable. He's not like holier than thou. He's like a friend who just has this relationship with this guy that he likes to share with people. And he's like, ah, I just love this Jesus guy and I'd love to share him with you. And he's super knowledgeable and, um, you know, sound. And it's so like when you, when you start probing, it's, he's, he has the richness of the faith within him, but is yeah. So he's been incredible. Um, you know, and then the saints, I mean, St. Teresa of Avila was an incredible resource for me as I was coming back to my faith, just an amazing example of what like Christian mysticism is. St. Joseph as a, um, I have two little kiddos. And so St. Joseph as a dad is just a, has been a powerful example to me of what it means to be a father and in, in the Christian perspective. So, and then friends and yeah, my wife does the vast majority of all the hard parts of our life. So she gets all the, all the credit for the most important part of my vocation, which is as a father. So 
anyway, yeah, is a, is a long list of folks. I'm sure I could go on forever, but those would be some of the some of the early ones who I am infinitely indebted to. Alex, what do you do to continue to to grow and develop? I mean, and balance, you know, the the work part, the the family, and but just to continue to challenge yourself. Yeah, honestly, for me, it's just um, it's just getting better and more consistent at the habits that I know I should uh, be building. And, you know, they change and develop with time. But for me, it's just like the daily, uh, being consistent with the daily execution of life, uh, which isn't, but I mean, from a spiritual perspective, I have a spiritual director. He says, like, if you wanted to just start with three things, that'll change your life. Try it. It's crazy. For a lot of people, it might, it might sound way too intense, but just spend 20 minutes in silence every day, uh, go to mass every day and do a holy, do a rosary every day. Um, and so I try to do like 20 minutes in silence or I try to wake up early, do 20 minutes in silence, do a daily mass. We have a beautiful daily mass real early here. And then an afternoon rosary. Um, I try to spend like, you know, an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon with family. And then for the startup, the the hard part about the startup is like the list of things that you can do is infinitely long. So like my to-do list is probably, you know, 2000 things long or whatever. And there's no way that you can do them all. Because it's, you know, you're trying to build an uh, organization. You only have however many people working on it at the beginning. You only have a handful of people working on it. And it's a task that, you know, organizations that have 10,000 employees don't get through. And so it's, it's really a question of like ruthless prioritization. And so, and, and, and then doing the, you know, showing up every day and doing the work on the big things that you think will move the needle and then learning from them and continuing to get better. And so, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's hard. And, and the balance perspective, it's, it's, uh, or the stress perspective, the startup is, I mean, it's incredibly stressful relative to anything else I've done. It's like 10x more stressful. You just have the weight of this thing could fail at any moment. Elon Musk would, has, you know, famously described it as staring into the abyss of darkness on the edge of a cliff and chewing glass. Uh, it's just like you only do really hard things. You get the worst problems sent to you. It's incredibly stressful. And that's, for me, the only thing that gets me through that is spiritually just trying to grow deeper and deeper and surrender to God, which is you know, at the beginning, I made a deal with them that said, has too much weight. It's too stressful. I can't handle it. It's more than anything I've ever tried to carry before. I make a deal with you. If the thing works out, you get all the credit. There's no, I'm not going to take the credit. I'm not going to think I'm some smart entrepreneur who figured everything out. At the same time, if the thing fails, it's on you. I'm not taking the blame. It's, uh, you know, I'll work as hard as I can to do it, but it's your thing. And if you want it to fail, it'll fail. And I don't know that, that mindset of, uh, it's God's thing and we're just stewards of it and we just get to work on it for the time that he allows us to work on it has been the only thing really from a like mental health perspective or a spiritual perspective that's allowed me to keep doing this for this long. So, but yeah, I, I would say like the daily, just showing up and doing the daily things that, that you try to do every day. And I'm still not like, I'm, I'm probably only 75% consistent or so, but, um, but I was like 25% two years ago, like 50% last year. So I'm, I'm getting better, you know, we're working on it, work in progress. I want to switch and I want to talk about what you brought up at the beginning of the conversation, which is really why we're here about the IBC and the SIBC. Yeah. And so the IBC, the Alumni Association of the SIBC chapters at Notre Dame, University of San Diego and Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. The IBC mission, very similar, similar to the SIBC missions, is to create a world where the business community acts as a principled force for the common good globally. And I'd love to get your perspective on what that means to you. Uh, yeah, this is my, my, I mean, it's a pretty good 
it's, it's not obviously a full definition, but it's a pretty good definition of God if you put God in there. And you just said the business community acts as a force for God. It's principled. It's good. You know, it's the source of good. And so for the, for the business community to act as a principled source of good for, uh, for, for the common good is like, I don't know, that's what God's trying to do. And I, I, I think, you know, I, I think it's an incredible mission because people often like disaggregate these things and you're like, ah, no, I do good with my charity work outside of my business. And it's like, my business is just to make money. And, um, you know, making money is a great thing. You, if you donate it and can be generous and are creating value for people and, um, you know, abiding by Catholic social teaching and values and all that stuff and treating employees right and all that, you're creating jobs. There's incredible good that comes out of business. But I think the disaggregation or the segregation of them, like Pope Francis, and, and, and the church teaches on this very clearly, like John Paul II, Pope Francis are, have, have, have been very clear that entrepreneurship and business can be incredible forces for good if they are rooted in the values of our faith, which are love and service and humility and generosity and charity. And I think that's a, you know, it's a massive, business is a massive force in the world. Uh, it's a massively untapped force, I would argue, for good in the world. And God wants it all. He wants to use it all. And so that's like when we were thinking about Hallow at the beginning, you know, we, I was honestly leaning towards making it free, making it a nonprofit. And then we talked to a bunch of people. We prayed about it a lot. And I talked about it a, a little bit at the beginning, but we were convinced not to. And one of the things that got me pretty excited was like, hey, maybe instead of you could, we could go and try to pitch ourselves against other nonprofits, all doing incredible work for the 10% of uh, high net worths individuals who are, who are giving, you know, 10% of their net worth. Or we could tap into the, you know, roughly 50 to 100 times larger pool of capital in the world, which is investable capital, which is put into the S&P 500 or venture capital funds or private equity funds or whatever. And instead of trying to take a dollar from what otherwise would have gone to a different nonprofit or a church to instead try to compete against the next TikTok or the next Snapchat and say, hey, instead of giving money to the next TikTok, what if you gave some money to help people grow deeper in their relationship with God? And I don't know, I think there's been something awesome about it for us because like I go into these pitch rooms, these venture capital firms or these early stage funders, and I talk about my relationship with God, which is just not a, it's not the usual pitch. And it's, you know, it's a very weird experience, I'm sure for them. And it's a blast for me because you get to bring Jesus and God and this force for good in, uh, into these places where it usually isn't, that usually isn't the thing that people are thinking about. And, uh, I think God wants to do that with everything. He wants to do it with all, every consulting firm, every type of business that's done. He wants to say, okay, well, how can I use this for my, for building up my kingdom? And what that kingdom means is a force for good, a force for common good. And so, yeah, I think the SIBC is incredible. A, a it was incredibly value, valuable to me from a secular perspective. It was an awesome institution, an awesome organization to like learn what real business felt like as a kid. Because as, as a college student, you just get like these fake projects. And it's still fake projects from an SIBC perspective, but it's real close to reality. And that was incredibly helpful. But also it's like, yeah, how can you bring good and, and like bring business, make business a force for good, which is a force for God. How can you bring God into business? How can you bring God into everything you do, into entertainment, into leisure, into family, into service, into working out, into, you know, your quiet time, into your quiet time in prayer, into like bring God into everything, especially business. I think SIBC is a, and the IBC is an incredible opportunity for the world to bring the good into, into a force that's obviously driving the development of the world. So, Very well said. Thank you. That was great. 
Um, if you had the chance to talk to a group of recent college graduates who have this this inner desire to go out and change the world and they have no idea where to start, what would you tell them? Uh, probably two things. One, which probably won't be surprising at this point in the conversation, but is to listen to God. He'll probably tell you a heck of a lot better than I will what he's calling you to. And when he tells you what he's calling you to, you better do it because if not, um, you're going to be a lot less happy. And even if it's hard, which it, I'm sure it will be hard, he tells you it will be hard. The way that the, the road is wide and the path is easy that leads to hell and the road is narrow and the path is hard, he says, that leads to everlasting life. And so it's going to be hard for sure. But like if you do it, then you're not the one. I, I feel like young people, especially me, but I have like younger siblings or uh, kids who we talk to out of college or any of the stuff. You're so stressed with like figuring out what you're going to do with your life. And it's a big question, but it's not really your question. It's God's. And so if you like give it to God and just say, hey, God, I'm going to whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And then just try to listen and take your best guess at what he's asking you to. Like it, it doesn't you, you're never going to get like 100 percent. Oh, he sent me a letter that says I need to apply to this firm. It's just like each step. It's like, OK, well, what do I think God would want me to do here? And prayers is a super important part of that. And I think can be real and powerful in, in guiding you into what you think he's going to want you to do. But it just takes a lot less. It just takes a lot of the stress off and it just leads you in a much better path than like trying to optimize. The second thing that I would say is just trying to start. So just that, that I, I think people get paralyzed with and then you end up, you know, settling for something you didn't want to. But like, especially in the startup world, if you, if you want to, the best way to learn how to do a startup is just to try a startup. And it sounds crazy. But especially when you're young, just trying a startup is is awesome. But it's the same thing for anything. It's like, well, if I want to be a lawyer, okay, give it a shot. You know, it's the the just starting and just jumping into something is uh yeah, would be my would be my but at first I think you have to have to have the proper discernment discernment approach and and try to make sure that you're bringing God as into it as you can. But oftentimes he's not clear. So you just gotta take a bet, take a take a guess, ask God to bless it and jump into it. So anyway, that that's probably it. So my last two questions. Um, I, I like to ask if, and, and I realize I don't know how much time you've had, but um, I like to ask: Is there any good book that you've read recently that you'd love to recommend or like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah. Um, well, there's there's much. Um, the uh, I would recommend from a spiritual perspective uh, either Saint Teresa of Avila's books, which I'd, I'd recommend all three, which is the Life. Um, which is her autobiography, The Way, I think is the other one, and then The Interior Castle. Um, the, uh, and then He Leadeth Me is an incredible, incredible spiritual book. So that would probably, it's a short little easy one about um, a priest who was taken prisoner in the uh, Soviet, constant uh, Soviet gulags and uh, was in solitary confinement. It's an incredible book. I can't, I, yeah, you just have to read it. But so, so that would certainly be on a spiritual side. From a startup side, the two best books, the truth, the hard thing about hard things is awesome. Um, I think that's Horowitz, Ben Horowitz, who wrote it, maybe. That's one of the injuries in 16 guys. Um, uh, the A16Z guys. The, um, uh, the other one is The Four Steps to Epiphany. I think that's Stephen Blank, maybe. Um, and that's a great book for much earlier stage. The hard thing about hard things is better for, like, as you're building as you're building a startup, but the four steps to epiphany from a startup perspective. Um, yeah, there's, there's a handful of other really incredible books. There's like a personal prayer book I'm reading right now by, uh, Father Boniface Hicks, I think, and another priest. Um, but yeah, those are, and then scripture obviously, but, um, but yeah, they're, uh, 
So that's a lot of books, but He Leadeth Me is probably the number one one. So would would highly recommend that one. Okay. Thank you. And my last question. So thinking way back when you were in fourth grade, what did you want to be? <laughs> fourth grade. That's an interesting age. My daughter is three and she wants to be a unicorn. So I'm sure it was something similar. Okay. I may have said like NBA player probably. Yeah, it was probably mostly sports. Okay. So it was probably an athlete, uh, probably NBA. I was most into basketball when I was in elementary school. And then and then I was pretty into football in middle school and then baseball in high school. But yeah, so I probably would have said NBA player, but but certainly not um, certainly not any depth to that answer. <laughs> Alex, thank you. Um, this has been truly inspirational for me, and I really, really appreciate your time today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blessing. More than welcome. Continued success. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of Continuum. Please leave us a five-star rating and share Continuum with your colleagues and friends. We need your help in gaining new listeners and growing our following. And for more information on the IBC, visit our website, ribc.com. That's just O-U-R-I-B-C.com. Have a great day.